context to what we're going to talk about today. So, again, we're going to be in Leviticus 16, going to be talking about Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. And in a lot of days, it's going to, in a lot of ways, really wraps up, I think, this entire study on Leviticus. So, um, how many of you daily or weekly use a calendar? Anybody? How many use calendars? You've, you've got apps on your phones, right? Or maybe you're old school and you've got one on the refrigerator or you have a personal planner um, that you still go by. And so calendars are important because they mark important days for us. So I want to ask you a question. For you personally, what is the biggest day of the year on your calendar? For you personally, what's the biggest day of the year on the calendar? The one day. Anybody? Easter, Christmas, birthdays. You've named most of the ones I thought of. Family reunions. Uh, maybe it's somebody, it's tomorrow, July the 4th. Um, that might be the day for you. Well, the Day of Atonement is the most important day on the Jewish calendar. In fact, they call it the day. That's how they refer to the Day of Atonement, simply referring to it as the day because that is the day when God atoned for all the sins of the people. And it's when he gave the nation of Israel a new beginning every year. So the Day of Atonement really is the culmination of, of Leviticus. And you're going to hear today a lot of things that we talk about in this text are really going to be some things that you've heard throughout this series uh, because, again, it all culminates on this day. And more importantly, the Day of Atonement is a very clear picture of what Jesus did for us, what Christ did for us. Now, if this is helpful to you in your bulletin, there should be an outline. Um, if it's not there, you can find it on Church Center app. Um, as well. So uh, maybe you can help follow along. I've got some scripture references for you there as well. So let's look at verses 1 and 2 and then verse 29. Verse 1 and 2 and 29. And I want to point out that this was an appointed time. It wasn't random. It wasn't something the people selected. But this was a specific date in the mind of God in order to handle the sin issue that, that we all deal with. So it was an appointed time, the Day of Atonement. Verse 1, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of his two, son, of the two sons of Aaron, and when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any uh, time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. And this shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all. We'll stop there. Um, the appointed day. It was actually the tenth day of the month of Tishri on the Hebrew calendar. On our calendar, that would be September or October. Now, on the first day of Tishri, that was Rosh Hashanah. That's when the trumpets blew and they celebrate the new year. Now, after the, the, the uh, Day of Atonement, on the 15th day of Tishri, that's the Feast of Tabernacles, or called, called Sukkot in Hebrew. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Um, by the way, the entire Jewish calendar is summarized in Leviticus chapter 23. So if you want to look at that at some point, um, turn to, you can go to chapter 23 and it'll summarize the yearly calendar for you. But the 10th day, which was housed between Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot, or the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles, was the day that God would atone for the sin of the people. Now, did you notice the reference to Nadab and Abihu? Those were the sons of Aaron who had brought strange, or it says profane fire, and the key there, I think, is before the Lord. They did something they weren't authorized to do. They went before God, and here we see now the Lord telling 
um, Aaron, only the high priest, only Aaron, you, can enter into the holy holies, that most holy place within the tabernacle, and you can only do that one time a year on a day we call the Day of Atonement. And any priest who disobeyed God would be like Nadab and Abihu, would die. Why? This is a reminder to us that God is holy. That's maybe the main thing throughout the whole book of Leviticus, is that we serve a holy God, a perfect God. It's very important for our theology. Um, sin is a serious issue. And Hebrews 9, chapter 22 tells us that without the shedding of blood, what? There is no forgiveness of sin. Now, here we are in the Day of Atonement. In the nation of Israel, certainly there was sin in the camp. Why? Because not everyone, everyone brought the required sacrifices the previous year. And not every sacrifice had been done correctly. And not every person had confessed their sin. And not everyone had come humbly before the Lord. You see, this wasn't a rote ritual. You couldn't just come and give a goat to the priest and say, I'm good, thank you. You had to come with a humble heart, right? We'll talk more about that in a moment, too, that salvation in the Old Testament was the same way that it is in the New Testament. It's still by the grace of God, amen? It's still his gift to us. And so without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And only God could see then the ways that the tabernacle itself and the people were, dev were defiled. So Yom Kippur, I like to call the Day of Atonement a divine do-over. Really? That's what it was. It was a time for a new beginning. Now, Aaron, or whoever the high priest was, had to repeat this ritual year after year after year on the Day of Atonement. And then what happened? Jesus. At just the right time, another specific time in the mind of God, an appointed time, Jesus came to finish the work that no one else was able to do. He came to do what nobody else could. You know, some believe, I, I wouldn't pinpoint this date for certainty, but some believe that Jesus may have been born on the 10th of Tishri. That's interesting. Um, born, perhaps, on the Day of Atonement, 5 B.C., which would mean he was actually conceived in December, right? and not actually born um, in December. That's an interesting thought. Uh, there's even much more agreement that Jesus died on the 14th of Nisan, which is 33 A.D., or specifically April 3rd on our calendar. Hebrews 9.26, though, definitely says this, that once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Once. He came and he put away sin by the sacrifice himself. In other words, Jesus' work on the cross perfectly fulfilled the day, the exact day that God had appointed for them um, to come and, and sacrifice before the Lord. Jesus fulfilled that day. And we'll talk about another day that's coming um, here in just a moment. So this was an appointed time. But not only that, look at verse 30, if you would. There was a very specific purpose, an appointed time, specific in the mind of God, with a very specific announced purpose. For on that day, verse 30, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. He shall make atonement for you. So day of atonement is Yom Kippur, K-I-P-P-U-R. The word atonement itself is rooted in a word called kapar, K-A-P-A-R, and it means this. It means to ransom or to remove by paying a price. 
to ransom or remove by paying a price. So the priest, as you saw in the video, would place his hands on the head of the sacrifice, symbolically transferring the sins of the nation to the innocent victim who would die in their place. So atonement means the price has been paid. Life has been given for life. Blood is shed. And that's such an important principle for us to get and for us to remember and live by. Because since the fall, since Genesis 3, since Adam and Eve, we have been spiritually dead in our sin. We've been spiritually dead in sin. And the Bible says that since life is in the blood, then only a blood sacrifice could bring us spiritually to life again. That's why we needed the blood sacrifice. Spiritually dead in our sin, Jesus came, gave his life, and in the, on the day of atonement, the sacrificial goat or sacrificial lamb gave its life so that we might be cleansed, so that we might, our sin might be atoned for, that we might be forgiven. Only a blood sacrifice can bring us spiritually to life again. That's the purpose of the Day of Atonement. And we see a little bit more in verse 33. I'm not going to read it, but you can um, glance through it there. There's a threefold cleansing mentioned there. The high priest and his family were cleansed. The people of Israel were cleansed. But take note, the tabernacle had to be cleansed. Not just the, the high priest, not just the people of Israel, but the tabernacle. It's strange that the sanctuary would be defiled and need cleansing. Because, you see, sin defiles not only ourselves, but the world around us. We've defiled not only our own life, and perhaps the lives of the people around us, but sin itself has polluted the entire world. In fact, the sacrifices on this day took care of the cause of pollution, which was the fall of mankind, our sin nature, but also took care of the pollution. It also took care of the defilement. That comes because of the fall, a fallen world. So the central idea is this, to wrap it up, God's purpose in the Day of Atonement. God's gracious provision provides complete atonement. Complete atonement. God made a way to cleanse the people of every sin and of every defilement so that you, number one, might, through trusting in his sacrifice, have a relationship with him, and then so that, number two, you might be able to walk in fellowship with him after you've accepted him. There is an, a, a sacrifice that makes complete atonement for you and I. May we never take that for granted. May we continue to remember that and continue to understand the depths of that in our daily life. That's the purpose on the Day of Atonement. Now, Notice, notice something else that was in the, in the scriptures in which uh, we read today. That something the people were to do. They were told to afflict themselves. Isn't that interesting? Told to afflict themselves. This was a, a, an appointed time with an announced purpose for an afflicted people. You see, the Day of Atonement was considered a Sabbath day. And since it was a Sabbath day, the people were specifically not allowed to do any work on that day. And you know what that points towards? It's very important. No work on that day reminds us that salvation is by grace. They couldn't work. They couldn't earn their atonement by what they were doing through the sacrificial system. They weren't in and of themselves earning God's gift of grace. But forgiveness on that day, just like on the day when I was nine and confessed Christ as my Savior, forgiveness on that day was a gift of God. So they're told in verse 29 and verse 31, afflict your souls. What does that mean? In the Hebrew, it means to humble yourself or to oppress. Um, the use of the word affliction is usually interpreted uh, practically 
In order to carry that out, practically it's interpreted as fasting, um, confession of sin. Uh, people ask, well, what do the Jewish people do? There is no temple. Well, typically what observant Jews do today is they spend the entire day in the synagogue, and it's a day of fasting for them, and it's a day of prayer for them. But the point is this, that they gave themselves to focusing on the spiritual and not the physical. They gave themselves to focusing their mind on the spiritual things of life and not the physical things. So the rituals, I want you to hear this, the rituals on the Day of Atonement were only effective for those who were truly humble before God. Only effective for those who saw their need of forgiveness, who understand it, understood that they needed a sacrifice or that they needed saving, right? See the foreshadowing of, of Christ Jesus? So, in other words, on that day, God called Israel to get serious about sin. I love the video that we watched, and thank you, Dexter, for singing that song so beautifully. And I do know and believe that God has blessed America and know that God wants to continue to bless America. But as is often said, America has the needs to also begin to bless God a little bit more. And America, and it begins here. Right here. It begins with getting serious about sin. Church needs to heed that call today. The call that was written in James 4. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. And let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Yeah. God, help us to draw near to you that you might draw near to us. An old-time preacher said repentance is almost a lost note in our preaching and our experience, and the lack of it is filling our churches with baptized sinners who've never felt the guilt of sin or the need of a Savior. Think about that a minute. We're trying to get young people to say, here I am, before they've ever said, woe is me. My dad used to simply say, before you get them saved, you've got to get them lost. Right? In other words, we've got to recognize our need of a Savior. We have to believe and trust in the sacrifice that God has made for us. So this was for a people who were humble before God, saying, God, I can do nothing without you. I have need of you. If my sin is to be cleansed, if I'm to walk in relationship and then fellowship with you, then I need your forgiveness, God. And so we would be, do good to rem remind ourselves of the humility of this day and what this day pointed to in the life of an individual. Not only uh, an appointed time and announced purpose, an afflicted people, but a very specific assigned procedure on that day. So the Day of Atonement was the right day with the right purpose. Everyone had to come with the right heart just a heart of humility, and a right procedure was carried out. The high priest prepares the sacrifice. If you notice in verses 3 and verse 5, the high priest had to secure the proper sacrifices. He had to have a bull and a ram for himself and his family. He had to have two goats and a ram for the people. And these animals had to be perfect. He had to, they had to have been scrutinized. In fact, 
if you back up in the calendar before the Day of Atonement in the spring, you have Passover, right? When they celebrated the deliverance of God of bondage from the uh, Israelites from Egypt and the death angel passed over those who had the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. Well, at Passover, at that feast, there was 250,000 sheep that were needed to be slaughtered on that, on that uh, week and during that time. About 250,000. And those sheep for Passover had to be um, overseen by a special shepherd priest. And one of those flocks was actually kept at Bethlehem. And they would scrutinize those lambs for defects and actually swaddle them in mangers, which is interesting, in order to make certain that they were just the right sacrifice to be given at Passover. And so the high priest on the Day of Atonement, he also had to make certain that they had the right sacrifices. An elaborate process emphasizing the magnitude of sin. In our life. And so the high priest, after making certain the, the, the uh, sacrifices were secured, as it showed in the video, he would remove his garments, he would wash himself at the bronze labor, and then he would put on linen priestly garments, very simple white linen clothing. In other words, he laid aside the glorious ornate robes that are described in the book of Leviticus for a very simple pure linen robe. He left those high priestly ornate robes outside of the holy place. Remember this now. He left those outside the holy place and he would return for them. And this was on his part an act of humiliation, pointing to the fact that he himself needed forgiveness, number one, and that the people needed forgiveness. So he was setting himself apart in order to serve God that day and to serve the people on that day. And in a greater way, this is exactly, exactly what Jesus did for us. Isn't it? Listen, think about John 17, 19. Jesus said in prayer to the Father, For their sakes, Lord, for their sakes I sanctify myself so that they might be sanctified. Now, Jesus is a sinless Savior. He didn't need himself to be cleansed of sin. He is without sin. But he did set himself apart to serve us. And so scripture tells us that he laid aside the glory that he had with his father in order to come and what? Come to the world as a baby wrapped in simple swaddling clothes to take on the linen of a man. And as God's suffering servant, he humbled himself and he died on a cross. It tells us in Philippians 2 verse 7 that he emptied himself. The, there's a theological term called kenosis, which means that he emptied himself. Now listen clearly. It does not mean that Jesus ever ceased to be God. Not for one moment. Not for a second did he cease to be God. But it does mean that he laid aside some of the heavenly privileges that he had in order to become a man. He came here. He completed his work. He returned to heaven. And then he dressed himself again in the robes of the great high priest. So that's why on the day of atonement, the high priest laid aside his robes, put on the linen in order to go back later and put back on his great high priestly robes. It's all a picture of what Jesus did for us. Aren't you thankful that God did not hold equality with God, something to be grasped, but instead made himself, he humbled himself and made himself a man, that he might be able to atone for your sin and for my sin. So the high priest would change his garments, and then he would make first his own sin offering, in verses 11 through 14, you see where he would enter back into now, the, he would enter into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the bull. He would take coals from the altar 
and some special incense. And when he got in behind the veil, when he got into the presence of God, he would quickly put incense on those coals so that the room, and particularly the area around the mercy seat, was uh, filled with a cloud of smoke. Why? Partially to shield his view of the manifest presence of God because Exodus 33, God said, no man can see my face and live. The presence of God was there. He sprinkled blood on the mercy seat seven times before the mercy seat. He was at the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember what I'm talking about, that gold-laden ark or box that was um, there in the Holy of Holies with the lid called the mercy seat on top of it covered with gold, approximately four foot by two foot, two cherubs on top of it with their wings stretching forward, and there between was the place where God met man. Where God met man, the, the, the high priest on behalf of the nation of Israel. It is known as the place of propitiation. It's another important word for us. Propitiation. In the Hebrew, it's kipper, K-I-P-P-E-R. Very close to the word kapar, which means atonement. But specifically, propitiation means the high priest went in there to drop the blood on the mercy seat so that God's wrath might be satisfied. Why? Because God's a holy God. Now, I'm thankful that we have a God who's not okay with sin, right? Not okay with my sin. Not okay with your sin or the world's sin or the defilement that has occurred on, in this world because of the fall of mankind. And so <clears throat> a, a, a propitiation was made by the high priest. God's wrath was satisfied by the blood upon that mercy seat. And that cloud symbolized the glory of God because the high priest was to put God's glory above everything else. Just like in Jesus' prayer in John 17, he said, Lord, glorify your son that your son may what? May glorify you. We need to be reminded that the ultimate goal of God's plan is not the good of people, but the glory of God. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't want good for people. It doesn't mean that he didn't give his life for us. But the ultimate goal of God's plan is that God might indeed himself be glorified. The glory of God. In fact, if you've ever read the Westminster Shorter Catechism, that's a principle, the principles of Christianity in Q&A form. And one question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God. That's our chief goal. So the high priest needed a sacrifice in order to approach the presence of God. He made his, first, his own sin offering first. Then he made an offering on behalf of the people. Let's read verse 8 together. <clears throat> verse 8 says, Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. Now, <clears throat> you need to know that both gates, both goats, excuse me, both goats constituted one sacrifice or one sin offering. So they were together, one sin offering. So the high priest would cast lots and one would be chosen to die. One goat was for blood atonement and the other goat was for a removal ritual. Very important. So he would kill the first goat he would sprinkle the blood on again and before the mercy seat. And then in verse 21, you see that the high priest would place his hand on the head of the second goat. And he would confess over it the sins of Israel. 
I've often wondered how long that took. <laughs> I mean, and what did he say? So that goat would be led out then outside the camp. It would be released into the wilderness, never to be seen again. And it's called the scapegoat. Because that's the goat that escaped death in the desert. And that's the one who takes blame for others. Just as the scapegoat was let out of the camp, what does Hebrews 13 tell us about Jesus? That he, when he died, when he was crucified, he was crucified not within the city walls, but he was led where? He was led outside the camp, right? Releasing the goat symbolized that the people's sins were carried away, never to be held against them again. Reminds me of John the Baptist's statement in John chapter 1. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a specific reference to scapegoat. He is led away on our behalf. <clears throat> so then the high priest in verses 23 and 24 would wash himself, put back on those high priestly robes. Once he was certain that the, that the scapegoat was lost, they actually had a system where they'd set up and signal. If you go to Israel today, you can see a mountain uh, not far away that they refer to from Jerusalem that they referred to as Scapegoat Mountain. Interestingly enough, where they would lead them out. Once they, the high priest was sure that the scapegoat is lost, then he would put on again his ornate garments. Picture of Jesus returning to heaven to receive the glory that he had laid aside to come on our behalf. In verse 27, when all the offerings were done, because sin had to completely be paid for, all of the sacrifice had to be consumed, the remainder of the sacrifices were carried outside the camp, and they were burned up. Wow. You know, <clears throat> to be honest with you, I'm really excited that we've gone through the book of Leviticus. To be honest with you, it's just not something that's done in the pulpit very often. But to do Leviticus justice, it really needs to be a really long class. <laughs> you really need to go through about a year uh, or more to, to begin to understand um, it all. Uh, in fact, I had uh, one guy ask me before service, could he ask questions in the middle of my sermon? I said, yes, you can. You can ask your wife any question that you want to ask her uh, quietly. And I won't say his name because he's going to get himself in trouble. He said he wasn't about to ask his wife a question because... Um, he, knew, he knows where that might go. Um, <clears throat> so, a specific time in the mind of God. Nothing happens by accident. God had it planned out that on a specific day, the sins of Israel will be atoned for. But because it was the blood of animals, it had to be repeated once a year. An announced purpose that he might make atonement, that our sins might not only be covered, ransomed, taken away, but th through the blood of the Lamb, that, they, that the very wrath of God itself might be appeased in us. That God is, through our sacrifice, at peace with us. And we can have peace with God and the peace of God. But it's important that this was a people who approached God in humility. You see... I don't believe in universal salvation, that everybody's just going to go to heaven. We come humbly before a God who's holy to say, I am in need, Lord. I need a Savior. I need you. 
And so all that the high priest did was a very clear foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. I want to make just a few applications for a moment. There are many, hopefully the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart about specific things that maybe you need to hear right now. But a few that came to my mind. First of all, this day, the day, it anticipated a greater cleansing. I'm thankful. You see, the sinless Savior and his sacrifice and his cleansing was greater than that of Aaron, an earthly high priest. I mean, remember what Aaron did at the giving of the law, Ten Commandments? Moses had disappeared. The people got impatient. We think he's lost. We think he's dead. We don't know what's going on. So Aaron, make us a golden calf. Let us worship like we did in Egypt. And what was Aaron's excuse? Well, I just stuck some gold in the fire. Out popped this calf. And that's literally what he said. So this is a greater cleansing, the cleansing of Jesus Christ. Half the world, maybe more, I have no idea, So many people believe in work salvation and they're working themselves to the bone thinking somehow they can earn and merit the favor of God and they'll never be cleansed. This is a greater cleansing. Aaron entered into an earthly sanctuary once every year into the Holy of Holies. But Jesus, he tabernacled among us in the flesh but then he entered into a heavenly sanctuary where it says in a more perfect sanctuary he made atonement for us. Aaron, he he just administered the blood of goats and sheep and bulls. Jesus gave his own self, his own perfect blood as a sacrifice for us. The best that Aaron could hope for was that sin was delayed for one more year. One more year, sin's taken care of. And Jesus, he put sin away, he put death away and sin away altogether. His death put sin away for us. Aaron, he could only draw near to God in the Holy of Holies once a year. But in Jesus Christ, that veil that separated the people from the presence of God has been torn in two. And everyone who confesses Christ as Savior, every believer has unlimited access to God. It is a greater cleansing. So what's the application? Well, there might be somebody in this room today. And let me tell you what the most important day is on your calendar. If you don't know Christ, it's today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you come and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Forgive me, and I need a sacrifice. And I believe that everything that Leviticus foretold was fulfilled in you. Be my Savior. Forgive me. Cleanse me of my sin. I accept your free gift of salvation by the grace of God. That's the most important day for you. And there are many of us in this room who are believers But maybe today is also the most important day for you. Because maybe today, through the power of not anything we sang or said here, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe today is the day that you truly begin to walk in forgiveness. Now, I don't know who this is for, but I prayed about this specific phrase. Your guilt is gone. Your guilt is gone. Forgive yourself. And forgive the other person. It's time. You have a scapegoat. He's carried it away. Stop allowing the enemy to confront you with it and to lie to you about it. Today is the day of salvation. And today is the day that you, believer, can begin to walk in the forgiveness that Christ gave his life for. It's a greater cleansing. We can be in peace with God and peace with one another. It's not only that. It's not only a greater cleansing. 
But the Day of Atonement dealt with unknown sins. I think it was Dean maybe that spoke about this, perhaps David as well. It deals with unknown sins. This yearly sacrifice prevented the contamination of neglected sin. The matter of that unknown sin in our life, it concerned David. In Psalm 139, David said to the Lord, Lord, I need you to search me. I need you to try me and see if there's any hurtful way or any wrong way within me, Lord. Now, we're not as concerned about unknown sins as we should be, I don't think. Because each of us, I think, have some sins that are deeply hidden and not easily discerned by ourselves. They're not easily seen by me because of my pride or my blindness. And too often we like to, and I put it in quotes, sanctify our sins with biblical terminology. Maybe a person who's domineering, we justify it as this is strength, this is my strength. Or somebody who believes that they're taking a stand for truth and righteousness makes excuses of the way that they treat others and their personality. Or a husband might justify oppressing his wife because I'm just taking the headship. See, we like to sanctify our sins through biblical terminology. And guess who sees right through that? (laughs) The Lord. He sees right through that. So may the Lord convict us of unknown sin. The Day of Atonement was a time when every individual reflected on their sinfulness and they repented before the Lord. We need to follow the example of the psalmist and make unknown sin a matter of priority because those are likely the sins that are greatly hindering your fellowship with God and with other people. The ones that you're not willing to look at or you haven't seen. And we need friends. That's why we need community. We need spouses who love us because they know our sins all too well. And we need to give permission for them to speak into our life about the unknown sin in our life. The Day of Atonement was a day to reflect on that. Here's the third thing. The Day of Atonement was a time when the high priest, as I said a moment ago, confessed the sins of the nation. And I asked the question, I wonder how long it took for Aaron to confess Israel's sins as he laid his hands on that goat. And I wonder what all he said. And then I thought, you know, we have some good reflections in Scripture. Look at the prayer of Moses for the nation. Look at the prayer of Ezra. Read the prayer of Daniel. And it will give you an idea probably of what Aaron would pray on that day, what was included in that prayer. And guess what? As we said back in Leviticus chapter 8, because we confess Christ as Savior, you and I are part of what we call the priesthood of the believer. In other words, we are all priests in the sense that we are all servants of the Lord Most High, the one who has saved us, and we are all here to do the work of the kingdom of God, to do his bidding. And so as New Testament priests, we need to make intercession for this nation. We need to make intercession for this nation. So I want to encourage you to do that. But I want to encourage you to see the nation's sins biblically and not politically. I'm being serious. We need to confess biblically what is going wrong with America. And we need to pray with humility. And we need to pray with hope. Isaiah 40, 31, those who hope in the Lord, what? Will renew their strength. Run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. They'll mount up with wings as eagles, it says. Those who hope in the Lord. We need to pray for this nation with hope, and we need to pray for salvation. We need to pray 
that the masses who've turned their back on the one nation under God, turned their back on God, would turn back to him and confess him their need of a Savior and confess him as their Savior. So the Day of Atonement was a time to confess the sins of the nation. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that it ended on this day as we celebrate the, the, the 4th of July and we celebrate freedom and we celebrate independence. It's important that we remember the day is for praying for the nation. One final point. The Day of Atonement points to the day that's approaching. Now, what do I mean by that? I said to you earlier that on the 1st of Tishri, <clears throat> the Feast of Trumpets um, was, was began. It's Rosh Hashanah. It's the Jewish New Year on their calendar. When the trumpets would blow and they would begin to celebrate, and they still do this, celebrate a new year. Some believe that the, old, the, that the, the, the fulfillment of that of that Old Testament feast, is fulfilled by the rapture. Interesting thought. 1 Thessalonians 4 and other passages always refer to the rapture as being associated with the blowing of a trumpet. Right? In fact, let me back up a step. Those spring feasts, Passover and first fruits and Pentecost, Shavuot and all of those feasts, we find in Scripture, we ought to go through this again, David, at some point, we find in Scripture what I believe are the fulfillments of those spring feasts. But what I'm not sure that we find of is the complete fulfillment yet of those fall feasts. And so perhaps the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, might be fulfilled in the rapture. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm believing that Jesus is coming to get me, right? But I'm not to be sitting around staring out the window, waiting only on that. So that second feast, which is housed in between two other other feast is the Day of Atonement. The one we talked about today points to the work of Christ. But not only does it point to the coming of Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, but it also points to the second coming. Because if you read this text carefully, the high priest actually entered in. Remember, everything is a foreshadowing of Jesus in this chapter and in the book, in the Bible. <laughs> right? Okay, so the high priest actually entered the Holy of Holies twice. Now, when he came out of the Holy of Holies, that was good news. <laughs> Let me tell you why it was good news. The high priest's garment had bells on the bottom of it, right? And those bells jingled. And tradition says, and it may be true, that they actually also tied a rope at some point, tied a rope to the leg of the high priest as he went into the Holy of Holies. Now, you know what the rope and the bells were partially for? If he went in there and he didn't do what he was supposed to do, he was Nadab and Abihu. And they had to pull him out. So, the fact that he came back out, that's good news. That's good news for the sins of the people. That means God accepted the sacrifice. So, think about the, the resurrection day. When Jesus came up out of the grave, that's good news for you and I. God accepted the sacrifice of our great high priest. Right? That's what that means. But then the high priest, in Leviticus 16, he entered into the Holy of Holies a second time. Hebrews 9.28 says that we're waiting for the appearance of Jesus the second time. So the day fulfills the death of Christ in all of these sacrifices. We see the resurrection of Christ in the first time the high priest comes out of the Holy of Holies. And in his second return, we're looking towards the return of Jesus Christ. Which may be ultimately fulfilled in the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was a time 
when they still do this today. You go to Israel, some of my friends on top of their house at this time of the year, or at that time of the year, will build what they call a Sukkot. It'll have a very rudimentary um, uh, uh, shelter made of uh, palm leaves and different leaves on top with four, four posts. What are they celebrating? They're celebrating God's deliverance from Egypt and, and Him providing for them as they wandered through the wilderness. That He took care of them as they had to sleep out underneath the stars with nothing but a tent over their head. That's, that's the Feast of Tabernacles. The Bible says that Jesus will one day tabernacle again with us for, forever. That feast points toward a day when we will, those who are in Christ Jesus, will forever tabernacle with the Lord. There's a connection in the language there is what I'm telling you. You say, Kevin, are you trying to tell us an exact date? No, no man knows the day nor the hour. I don't know that. But it does say watch for the signs and look for the seasons. And so it might just be that the Day of Atonement is pointing also towards the second coming of Christ. So here's what I want to close with. That's the day you should be looking for. That's the most important day on the calendar. Now, I don't know when it's going to happen. But that's the day that you personally need to be prepared for and that we need to prepare, be preparing others for. We need to help others be ready for that day. That day that's coming. Maybe sooner than we even know. Or expect. <clears throat> Just a moment, I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. I'll go ahead and ask the worship team if they would to come. Uh, we have an opportunity to celebrate um, communion today. Wouldn't want to end the book of Leviticus without that. I think it's so important that we've seen so many pictures of what Christ has done for us in the 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 the, the sacrifice of his life for us and the shedding of his blood. But we're to do this even as we see the day approaching. We're, we're to continue to observe communion, continue to observe the Lord's Supper because it also is a reminder, not only of what he did for us, but a reminder that we have eternal life in him and that we will tabernacle with the Lord and that he's coming again. So we're going to invite you today, um, after I pray, if you would stand. And you can leave out on your left, take the elements, enter back into your row on your right, and we will um, receive them together. But let me pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Father God, for your word, Lord. I thank you for the truth of your word. Lord God, we're just privileged to be able to open up the Bible, Lord God, that you have preserved for us and to read all the way from Genesis to Revelation of your holiness and our sinfulness, but your plan to redeem us. And so, Lord God, we praise you for your sacrifice of your son Jesus on our behalf. And, Lord, I just pray today that in this day, in these scriptures, that somehow we've gotten a little bit better understanding of who you are and all that you've done for us. And as we come to this time of, of communion, Lord God, just pray that we would draw near to you that you might draw near to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand if you would, please.